All right. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Elevate Your Grind brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales. Um, sorry, we're late today. It happens. Uh, you know, got caught in traffic or some other excuse, but you know, you guys can't really question me on that. So I'll use whatever I can. Um, it's unfortunate that we're late and hopefully everyone is still with us, but we've got an amazing guest today. Um, this guest was actually foreshadowed on a prior episode. For, for those of you who saw the awesome episode with Cody Sanchez of Entourage Capital, she name dropped this company in that particular interview. And when I heard that name, um, I decided to go out and, and find the, the owners and the, the founders of that company because I thought it was going to be an amazing story. Um, he happens to be an amazingly nice person. And as soon as I reached out, said, I would love to be on the show, didn't ask me about the size of the audience or everything else. So doesn't realize that it's probably me and my parents uh, watching this episode. <laughs> but because of that, we will welcome to the show. Please welcome the co-founder and CEO of Can. Uh, one of the premier cannabis beverage companies out there, Jake Bullock. Good to be here. Thanks so much, Todd. No, thank you so much for, for joining me. And I'm going to tell you, Jake, I actually got my first question off your website. Uh, W2F is a social tonic. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So um, can our first products are, are cannabis-infused social tonics. Um, we call them social tonics. Um, because uh, a couple of things. One, tonic is this really interesting word that you know we often associate with alcohol, like gin and tonic as a mixer. When we dug a little bit deeper into it, um, it's actually like a medicinal substance that's meant to give feelings of well-being and vigor. And, and you can find that on our site, which felt perfectly suited for what this product does. Um, it, it's, it's a functional beverage. We put cannabis into a can. It's designed to be an alternative to alcohol um, that gives you a similar buzz, uh, but no hangover. It's a third of the calories, uh, clean label, all natural ingredients, uh, way better for you than alcohol. Um, and it's meant to be consumed socially. So if you think about cannabis and the industry, um, you know, for us, the most important thing was how do we take this product, take this plant, and introduce it to people that maybe would never have come across it otherwise. Maybe you're never going to smoke or edibles have been too strong for them. They had that bad experience, you know, back in college or, or maybe recently. Um, and they're thinking about, you know, my mild intoxicant of choice is alcohol. And I probably drink too much of it, especially now, right? Um, during the pandemic, people are stuck at home. We're hearing from customers they're drinking, you know, every single night for the last 40 days. Uh, it's just not sustainable. It's one of the worst things we do to our bodies. And so we created this product, which is designed to be social. It's a social tonic. Um, you can drink it like you would drink alcohol uh, in lots of ways, although it's non-alcoholic. And because of that, you have a better experience. It's a little bit of a different buzz, but no hangover. Um, and it's much better for your body. I'm so intrigued by this because I, I think it's perfect for our industry, right? I, I So I talk a lot, and I'm sure you haven't seen the show, but I talk a lot about um, you know appealing to the mass market, not just the historic cannabis consumers. And I actually listened to a podcast that was really interesting because not only are you guys a different way to consume cannabis, it's also low dose. And that's something I'm a big proponent of as well too, right? Um, you know, when, when we look at alcohol and we look at how people consume alcohol, not everybody's drinking Everclear, right? Imagine taking right. that that California dispensary experience into a liquor store. Hey, bud, what are you looking for? Uh, yeah, just put me on the floor. Oh, go over to the grain alcohol section. That doesn't happen, right? right. So 
I think it's really cool when you guys were coming up with the idea for can, was it always intended to be a low dose product? Yes, it was. Um, so I actually started working on this while I was at um, business school in Stanford. And um, at the time, California had just passed its its adult use legalization. And I was sort of thinking, you know, I'd always wanted to start a consumer brand. How, what type of product would I want? Like design, you know, for me, if you're just thinking about like what you would what you would consume. And, and for me, it was going to be a beverage because we spend thousands of our uh, years of human history socializing around beverage. We didn't think that was going to change. But the big question was like, why hadn't, you know, California had a, a, an active medical market. Um, mm-hmm. And and in that, there were beverages. And so the question was like, why hadn't they become a big thing? And, and there are two big reasons. The biggest was dosing. Dosing was just way too high. And so what we did is we mm-hmm. thought about dosing in terms of how many can you have in one setting, which is actually the right way to think about it. It's like alcohol, right? There's this whole concept in craft beer of sessionability. You want something that you can drink a number of. It doesn't really do you any good if you're so drunk off of the first drink that you have to stop drinking. Um, and so we tested that with consumers by sending them, you know, different versions. We tested everything. I mean, we tested, there were, there were lots of higher doses in the market. We tested everything under 10 milligrams and started getting a sense of like, where was that magic? And what we found is if you brought the dose way down, um, you got a lot of sort of the uplifting euphoric, um, elements of, of the cannabis effects without the really paranoid, um, kind of anxious ones. Uh, and then when we paired that with CBD, it helped even more, right? It created even more of a mild effect of those two working together. Um, and, and we thought that that was like sort of the perfect dose that let a first timer, um, have a couple, maybe one or two and, and experience cannabis, but also someone that had a more casual relationship could have, you know, three or four or five, like you might drink light beer or, or one. That, that that's really cool. And and I want to continue to keep talking about the product. I mean, I think it's a phenomenal idea. Listen, I, I tend to, to, to go into more and more of my backstory about my use on the show. I mean, I can tell you annually, my parents have a, a Christmas party and me and my buds go outside and we smoke a J and we come back in and it never fail. When we come back into the party, we smell like a joint we look like it and everything else and it's, it's it's awkward and like you said the paranoia kicks in to be able to have the ability to to just kind of stand around with everybody else in the same vein that they are uh, appeals to me and I, I can't wait till you guys get down to florida but but backing up into your history here you have a very impressive background i mean you know you went to great schools between duke and like you said stanford business school you had what most people would consider a coveted corporate job at, at Bain, what made you give all that up to take a chance, not only on a startup, which is risky in itself, but now a startup in a nascent industry that has a very hard time accessing capital. Like was a normal startup not challenging enough for you? Right, right. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. So I had sort of, you know, through my background, done a lot of really traditional sort of standard stuff that had, this kind of path dependency to it. You know, you go and you, you, you do this job and that job leads to this next job. And um, it's really, really scary to get off of that path um, yeah. because there's all these interesting questions that come up, right? About sort of like, um, you know, it's really risky. It's going to be really hard. What do um, the people around you that care about you the most, your parents, um, your friends, what did they say about it? And often like the foundation of their relationships 
to you is built on fear and, and de-risking your life. They're saying like, no, go the easy way. That's, that's the way you're going to be most, you know, you know, most happy. And the reality is that's not true, right? Like happiness is not connected to a lack of risk. It's actually the opposite. It's, it's those, those, those risky moments that feel uncomfortable and you're kind of like, am I really going to do this? But you can't stop thinking about it. That's when you do it. And, and it's not easy. It, I mean, the whole process is, is, incredibly difficult. We could talk about more. Um, but just deciding to do it is the hardest part. Like I, what I found is that, that emotional decision to say, you know what, I'm leaving this job. I'm not going to go back into, you know, a, a, a more corporate profession where, where you made a lot of money, um, and take this risk, uh, is actually, uh, the hardest, the hardest decision to do. Everything else falls into place because you've, you've learned it. You've had the experiences, you've had this background you can fall back on and, and go out and execute. It's just making that decision, being comfortable with some of those, some of those, um, those situations. That's really important. That, that That's really cool. And then, so like many of the tech companies around where you are, you guys started in a garage in Palo Alto. And I can tell you as call myself a normal person as much as we can, but I think I can relate to two buddies starting a, a, a cannabis company in a garage more so than a tech company. It just, you know, I think that that appeals to the, the wider public. Um, you know, what were the early days like when you're like, okay, we're not only, because I, I look at it, there's so many different sales that you have to make with cannabis, right? A, you've got to get somebody comfortable using cannabis. B, when it comes in the traditional form, you now have to sell them on the way that they're going to consume it, right? So you right. may now possibly appear more to appeal more to the general audience, but now your historic cannabis consumer is looking at this and it's like, whoa, what is that? Like, that's completely different than what I'm used to. You know, I think you're, you're, goal was to appeal to the mass market. But what were those early days like when you're like, okay, we have to take this experience and pretend I have a joint in my hand and put it in here and make it so everybody can enjoy it. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's super challenging. Those early days were tricky. You, you were doing everything right. There were science challenges, which how do you get cannabis with starts the extract starts as an oil into a liquid that is stable and, and, um, you know, behaves the way you want it to and doesn't have a cannabis taste. Like those were really hard science challenges. You know, we had these consumer questions of like, who is our core customer? Is it, is it like you say, this mass market or is it sort of, um, you know, a smaller segment? Is it, is it sort of, um, people like us, which are, you know, getting into getting, getting, having worse and worse hangovers. Um, is it, uh, is it cross-generational? Is it gender neutral? Like those things are really important sort of marketing consumer questions we had to answer. Um, but maybe the most important one is, is the one that you identify, which is, you know, we are creating a product that people that are in the industry today probably don't want. Um, like the core customers of dispensaries um, and delivery partners in, in California today um, are more of a high THC customer. They have built up can cannabis tolerances over time. Um, yeah. Those are the products that are really fast moving. And for from a dollars and cents standpoint, if you think about how much you have to pay um, for how much THC, you know, we're probably the worst product on the market for that. Um, for, for dispensary owners that are saying, I'm looking for, you know, products that, that are really, really, um, good in terms of how much space they take up in the back of our room and how much dollars I get from that. We're really, really bad. Like a, a, a beverage takes up a ton of space and it's really heavy and hard to deal. With. Um, so in some ways you're going down this path and you're saying, we are about to design a product that doesn't fit in its channel. And now why would you ever do that, right? And the reason we did it was all those early consumer conversations where we gave people, and you know, we tagged this product in our, in our garage, 
carbonated it, put it in brown bottles, send it off with, with consumers in six packs. And we heard back from them. Did, what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? How did you use it? Did you share it? How many did you have? Um, and people would come up to us and say, you have to do this. You have to make this product. I need this to exist. I need to go buy this. I'll be so disappointed if I don't have this in my life. And it was those conversations that made us think, okay, there's a mismatch between the channel and the customer. Definitely. That's going to be our biggest challenge, but there are people out there that want this product. And so we wake up every day thinking, how do we find those people? How do we meet them where they are and get them this product you know, as easily as possible? Teach them about it. Teach them how to get into dispensaries. And what's really cool about that is it means that we're growing the industry. We're getting more people into the cannabis industry that would have never considered it before because they're like, oh, my own toxicant of choice is alcohol. Yeah. I, and, and if I read correctly, your, your business partner actually had that same feeling in the beginning where he's like, wait, Hey man, there's, there's alcohol. I think that's good enough. And, and kind of was your, your devil's advocate there. How did, you know, when you were able to convince him, was that, was that when the, the ball kind of dropped or, you know, in some ways, yes. I mean, so Luke, uh, my co-founder, who I had started working with at Dana Company uh, a while back, we started on the same day. We had remained friends, and we had sort of. I continued to have this conversation with him while I was while I was working on this idea, and he would always say, like, "Ah, not interested. Like, why? Alcohol is so effective. You're never going to be able to beat alcohol." And in a lot of ways, he's right. We, I don't think that's what this is about. Um, yeah. But as our hangovers got worse, um, as we started realizing sort of some of those like longer term negative effects of having a social life built entirely around alcohol. Um, he started coming around and I think by the end he was actually convincing me. He was saying like, you have to, you have to do this. Like if we don't do this together, like you're crazy if you go back into investing. Um, which, which, which I think was great to have that because you know, it, it sort of felt like if the two of us are aligned on something, um, it's probably going to be right. Yeah. It, it... <laughs> I, I'm, I, I wish we were a technical savvy enough show where I can actually bring the product up here and show people because your branding is, is awesome. Your packaging looks great. Um, do yeah. you think, and, and you know, there has been a trend lately of hard seltzers, right? You've got Trulies, you've got White Claws, you know, um, they've been pretty successful for the alcohol industry. Considering your your brand falls in line with that as kind of a seltzer, do you think the, the popular, the population. I can't even think of the right word, but how popular hard seltzers have become helped contribute to promoting your beverage? Definitely. It seems like there's been this, um, there's sort of this trend that happens in the alcohol beverage industry where it happened last summer with hard seltzers. You know, it's happened in the past with whether it's Rosé or Aperol Spritz. It's something that breaks through sort of all the noise of all the products that are out there as, as different, but also, um, you know, they they all share some qualities, which is they're sort of branded around occasions, sort of like experiences being outside in the summer, like whether it's at a pool or the beach or, you know, the side of a cafe or something. And I think that we're, we're trying to do something similar in the sense that we're trying to break through a set of conventional norms that like alcohol is the functional ingredient that we should be using when we're socializing. And, and I think one of our, our customers that love the product the most may still drink alcohol, right? Um, they may have a couple of cans and they may switch to a glass of wine or something. Um, and that's totally fine as well because we're so low dose, it integrates really well socially. Um, so you can have, you know, we always talk about being at a party and having a cooler of beer, wine and can like can, we named it, you know, cannabis in a can It's really on the nose, but it's meant to be that, like, what is that one word that describes a category? Um, 
we happen to be the only ones in that category right now, so it's really hard. We're doing the education on our on our own, um, but that will change, and we're we're eager for that to change. We're excited to see um, you know other microdose beverages. We think of ourselves as way more exciting than a seltzer because you know we have natural fruit juice, not from concentrate, agave nectar um, from Mexico. We have na all natural flavors. We don't mess around with like with other natural flavors, um, and and all those things contribute to like a really bright, brilliant taste. And we don't have the alcohol. And if you think about alcohol, particularly in some of these seltzers, it does kind of have a um, sort of acidic, bitter flavor to it yeah. that we don't have to worry about. I, I got to be honest with you. I, looking at the flavors and, and reading about the natural ingredients on your page, I honestly think these would be drinks that I would drink if they didn't have any THC or anything else in them. But going back to what you just said, you know, some of your 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 customers might switch between can and a beer or some wine. Have you guys, and I'm just curious, I don't know if you've done this or not, have you guys experienced mixing it with alcohol? Does that work? Or are we just asking for trouble there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the party line from us is um, that we don't recommend doing it. And to be clear, the reason we don't is because alcohol is the dangerous part of that combination. Yeah. Um, but we hear from our consumers all the time that they love these various combinations. Oh, gin is great with the grapefruit rosemary flavor. We love lemon lavender vodka. Um, the blood orange margarita, right? Um, so we hear people doing this. What's great about the product is because it's only two milligrams of THC, um, it, it, that's such a low dose that the impact, you know, you can control it and it's, it's, it's in a beverage, you absorb it a little bit faster, significantly faster than an edible. That allows you a lot more control over the experience. And so, you know, if people choose to, to kind of have a, have a glass of wine and then have a can, it's probably okay. And they'll feel sort of trust their body in terms of, of how they're feeling, but it's not like you take, um, you know, 10, 10 milligram edible. And then in, you know, two hours you're on the floor. Yeah. And if you had any alcohol, it would actually be really, really dangerous. Um, but, 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 uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to us that, that so many folks, um, have, have come up with that on their own. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, I, I can imagine within my group of friends that that would probably be the first thing that they would try. But I, I and that kind of led me to my next question. You touched on it. How does this difference from your traditional edible experience? Because you are consuming it the same way you're ingesting it. But like you said, there's a faster onset. It is lower dose. So how are you able to make that happen? Is it because it is in a, in liquid form and your your stomach doesn't have to digest it as much? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on. Um, in the early science challenges in terms of getting a, a cannabis extract that starts as an oil into a liquid, um, we emulsify it. And it's a fairly common food science you know, solution to, to doing this, and it happens in all sorts of different beverages, other things. Um, uh, that process, what it allows us to do in choosing um, the technology there, it allows us to have a more rapid uptake. So when you... Um, start drinking the beverage. It will touch your lips and touch inside of your mouth, down the, the lining of your esophagus, the lining of your stomach. And then it gets into the liver and and, and finally sort of is processed by your body. Um, all of those things that happen before the liver are opportunities sort of uh, for your body to absorb it faster. And what that means is instead of waiting, you know, for an edible to get through your stomach and into your liver, which could take, you know, depending on the contents of your stomach, other other factors in your body, anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple, an hour and a half, um, this happens, you know, within 10 to 15 minutes, you'll start feeling something. And then that will sort of build gradually. And because we're starting off at such a low base, by the time that you um, 
by the time that you get to sort of 45 minutes, 50 minutes, that whatever it's doing in your body is not really perceptible. So you almost feel like a, a pullback from, from that, that buzz, uh, which is great because it sort of signals to you, oh, did I enjoy that? How did I feel? I felt good. I'll have a second one. Um, and that's super important if you think about alcohol, the ability to moderate it and to t- you know, allow your body to process it in short, you know, sort of hour chunks of time is a key part of, you know, how we've learned to drink, drink alcohol. I, I see this so much as the future and, and I don't, you kind of have touched on it a little bit, but you know, I had the, the benefit of watching some other podcasts with you, but you know, we look at the situation where if you were to drink can and you're microdosing it at some point relatively quickly, you're going to come down from that feeling. You're going to get right back to baseline and you can go back about your day, which is something that really appeals to me. Think about it, you know, at least in the traditional business world and a lot in finance, how many times you go to lunch to entertain a client you have a few cocktails at lunch, have a drink at lunch, whatever it is. And then you've got the rest of your day. You go back to your office. You're like, I don't want to work. I'm buzzed. I just want to, I want to go home. I want to keep riding this train, whatever it is. I can almost see that, you know, and eventually, and we'll get to if that's an opportunity for you, but you know, people enjoying this during business discussions and in, in, in business meetings and happy hours and things like that, because they have lives to get back to after that. I mean, as you get older, when you have a business happy hour, you don't have the ability to I don't want to say enjoy it, but participate in it the way you did when you were 22, 25, 28. You know, when you have a wife and kids at home, you got to go home and parent. Right, 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 right. Um, no, I think, I mean, it's a very common use. We, on our team, we have can o'clock, right? It's sort of like your the new version of happy hour. Um, and what's fantastic about it is uh, you don't have all the negative impacts of alcohol. You're not, you know, dehydrating your body. You're not um, hung over the next day. Uh, one of the customer segments that we see the most frequent um, is young parents that have, you know, a two-year-old that wakes them up at 5.30 every morning with the sun or, or whatever. And you just can't have like two glasses of wine, you know, the night before and 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 feel good that in that morning at 5.30. And, and so there are all these new occasions that are popping up in people's minds saying, wow, I can still unwind. I can still be social without all those really negative effects. I'm in that camp, not a two-year-old, but I have a, a seven-and-a-half-month-old daughter that wakes up between 5 and 6 a.m. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, we need to get you in Florida sooner than later. Um, I know. So I, I, I want to transition because I love the product. and I, I, There's so many different things that I can talk to you about, but I, as a business owner, as a founder of a company, I'm interested in your, your marketing strategy because your branding, your packaging, all of that is, is absolutely incredible. And I want to get into how you did the strategy, but as we know, cannabis companies have a hard enough time um, they have a hard enough time advertising it as it is because there's so many places where you can't advertise, where you can't do paid media and everything else. Now, that's a little bit alleviated if you are targeting the traditional cannabis market because there are cannabis industry rags and cannabis-specific stuff. But a lot of the people in there are, are smokers and that's what they're looking to consume. So when you are now a cannabis product that wants to appeal to mass market, what channels do you leverage for that? And how does that strategy even remotely begin to come together? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And it, it, is, a, it is a challenge. So um, there are a lot of things that you know, normal consumer CPG brands can do that we can digital ads is one of the biggest ones. Um, uh, because you know, Facebook and, and, and Instagram, Google don't, don't allow that in their terms of service. Um, in some ways, it's a good thing, because what it does is it forces us to do that old school sort of organic brand build, 
that starts in the store and it starts with merchandising the product, creating the right packaging, um, doing samples and demos, reaching out to customers. You know, we do a lot of stuff in person, event-based activations. Now that's been kind of thrown um, aside during the pandemic, but you know, up until then we spent a ton of time in our accounts talking to customers about the product. Now we're sort of forced to do that more virtually. A lot rests on our social media. It rests on our Instagram. How do we, you know, build an organic following? That's really, really hard to do. I mean, we scrutinize every single word of every single post and um, what are we trying to say and what's at stake and um, what's the effect that we want to have with this? Um, that's super, super hard. You know, we um, we think about how the brand sort of comes through our organization and, and our values. And, you know, Luke and I parade around wearing the can pink all the time. Um, uh, and that's really important because the details matter, right? People can, can sort of tell whether something's authentic or not based on, you know, that thought and effort that's gone into it. And so we do a lot of that. That's small and it's, it's not always the easiest to scale. Um, but we're small, we're a small brand. And so it starts with the product. It starts with those, those, those customer interactions, those experiences. One of the really great things we've, we've been able to accomplish is um, we get DMs and we invite them, um, both that and we put a, a text number um, on our packaging, on our boxes, on our website for people to reach out. And we have these conversations happening you know, every day with hundreds of our customers. And we learn so much from them, what they care about, what they like about the product, what they'd wish that we could change. Um, and that's really powerful too. Uh, and the other thing we try to do is we try to um, get the product in the right place at the right time. So our product is meant to be social, right? We started off talking about social tonics. Um, how do you get can in the hands of somebody that's going to a housewarming party or that's hosting a barbecue or that, you know, is grabbing a bottle of wine for a small dinner at home? Like there are all these social moments that happen through all of our days. They're changing a lot, interestingly, as, as, as bars and restaurants are closed, you know, people are, are, are staying at home. Um, that dynamic changes a lot. And it's a huge opportunity for us to get people to think, oh, try cannabis for the first time. And, and we'll give it to you in these cute little cans. It'll be a very low, safe dose. Um, and that, that seems to be working. I mean, we're, we're seeing some pretty incredible traction through, through the pandemic on our delivery platforms. Uh, folks are saying enough is enough with alcohol, and they're getting excited about an alternative. I, I think it, you know, I, I always look at what's the easiest way to educate people on cannabis and what's the easiest way to get them to try it. And, you know, I, I don't think that smoking is because the majority of the country does not smoke and it's something that's foreign to them, right? The traditional cannabis market, that's always going to be something. But I look at people like my wife and, you know, I she's not a cannabis user and it's something that I've told her to try to dabble in, but she's not She's not gonna smoke, right? So I would love to see options, at least in our state, or you know that that can easily help someone dip the toe in the water of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And having a drink and having it be low dose is is absolutely perfect. Um, you know, honestly, not even from a business standpoint, just because I want to be able to have better access to your product. You know, I know you guys are, are are crushing it out in California. Are there plans to expand out to other adult use states? Yes, there are um, a lot of plans in the works. Uh, we'll have we'll, we're planning on opening Nevada next, which is really exciting. That should happen this summer, um, and then there'll be a handful of states on the way following that. I think, you know, there's some unique challenges there. We have to sort of you know recreate our supply chain in each of these states because the products can't move across state lines. State yeah. regulate you know packaging and, and marketing and different things differently. Um, so it takes time. It's not as easy as just you know ship the product all over the country. 
Um, but in some ways, it's good because what it's doing is it's forcing us to learn those markets and to have conversations with the retailers and really understand what their concerns are and, and um, you know, bring all those things together to make a really successful product launch. That, that's I, I really hope that you guys get to get to expand sooner than later. I know you guys are probably very strategic about it, but this is something as someone who's sitting in the state of Florida right now, I'm extremely jealous that we don't have and would love to have access to sooner than later. So, you know, hopefully as things start uh, opening back up, we can get out to the West Coast and, and enjoy some can. And you guys are, are headquartered in, in Venice, correct? I wish I would have known that I was just there before the pandemic happened, um, you know. I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's a lovely little community there. So did you, you know, I, I, I read that, you know, you have your, your main source of distribution originally was MedMen and I'm sure it's expanded beyond that, but having that location in vet in Venice close to the MedMen kind of, um, their, their main store would, did that help you build that relationship? Yeah. So we launched, um, last summer and we launched with MedMen as our first partner, um, in, in their Venice stores and a, a couple others. Um, and it, it really was a fantastic partnership. I mean, they, they their, their retail environment, um, is such a, such a premium one. It's one that is really built and designed around sort of where cannabis is going just as much as about where it is today. And I think they, they see that sort of value in how do we reach those new customers, those folks that, um, you know, are never going to smoke or they find edibles too strong and sort of bring them in to the fold and, and start having those conversations because we see it with our customers I and mean, people will have gone from never you know, consuming cannabis to, to falling in love with can. And now they're trying all sorts of other new products, right? They've got the CBD topical that they love and their microdose um, mints that they carry wherever they go. And so it really is, it sort of started that flywheel and it was a fantastic place to be able to do it on the West side of, of LA um, where people do care about things like, um, what they put in their body and what are the ingredients? And these are five ingredients on our packaging. We have a clean label and it's because we believe that that's an important value in a product. Um, and so a lot of those product values that we kept, um, Luke and I, when we were designing the product really resonate with, with, um, with folks there. Yeah. I mean, you know, on that wellness vein, and you'll notice there's no structure to this show. It's wherever my, my crazy brain takes us. Um, you know, I look at your can and it's something that could easily be, uh, found in whole foods or, or, or fresh market or, or any of these wellness locations. Um, do you find it challenging? And, and I know you really can't do anything about this, that you have to sell a product that is really designed for the mass market in a store that, you know, is more for cannabis consumers and, and, and not saying that the mass market doesn't go into dispensaries, but do you feel that when we get to federal legality, that can is going to be much more appropriate for a whole foods or a fresh market or, you know, a, a natural grocery store as opposed to a dispensary? Right. Yeah. There are great questions. I mean, it, it is a problem today in the sense that, um, you know, there's 600 or so licensed dispensaries in California. And, and I think there's like thousands, right, of places where you can buy alcohol. Uh, and it makes it challenging on the marketing side because if someone sees can or tries it, like it's very unlikely they'll run into it on the store in an environment where they can purchase it unless they're going to dispensaries. And we know that a lot of people just don't go to dispensaries. Some of them it's because, you know, they're still a little bit uncomfortable. They don't want to be seen, you know, in a pot shop, um, or whatever that stigma still exists. It's something we work really hard against, but it's there. Um, 
And others, it's because it's, they just don't know. It's like, I don't even like where I've never been to a dispensary. I don't know how to find one. You know, um, I, I, I get a little bit like creeped out by the process of having to show my ID and wait in line. And, and then, you know, I, I'm like a little bit uncomfortable because I don't really know what questions to ask. I don't want to go in and seem, you know, like I don't know what's going on in the industry. Um, and so I think, I think all of those are contributing factors. What we really think needs to happen, and, and this we recognize this will take time, but um, we think that products like can products that you know have three milli- milligrams of THC or less, or, or maybe five or less, um, should be regulated differently. They are the safest products on the market. Um, they're much like the the three two beer of 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 the older days, where you could purchase that in a lot of states in grocery stores. And I think that what we really need is a license type in all these recreational states that allows. Um, products of a certain strength, so very low micro dose, under under a few milligrams, um, that can be sold alongside, um, you know, other other regular, you know, grocery store and, yeah, and alcohol I, products. I think that's the dream, and I think that's what we're all working towards. Um, you know, funny enough, and and I'll take this stance, and you don't have to because you live there, but. California has a rich history and a traditional history with cannabis already, right? It, it's, you know, there, there is a history there and they, they take pride in it and, and people have a lot of experience. Do you think that as you go into markets that are different from California, that you are actually targeting more of the mass market because they don't have the, the built-in consumer base that California has? Do you think it's going to be a little bit easier? And, and honestly, do you think you're going to start pulling ahead of the traditional products in that vein? It's a, it's a great question. We think about it a lot. I mean, our view is that the states that take longer to open up, potentially because they take longer, are better markets for us because they're sort of, you know, not ready for the cannabis that they think cannabis is without really knowing that their products like can, which are really mild and, you know, look and feel just like their can of beer or glass of wine. Um, so we, we think that that's, that's a really good observation. And, and, and we think that there's some real potential there in, in those new markets as they open up. Jake, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. And I know I've said that a few times, but your your story is amazing because given your background, there are so many things that you could have done. And, you know, without realizing it, you probably took one of the hardest career paths um, that you could take. Like I said, you, 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 you decided to go to the startup route. And not only that, you've decided to go a startup route in a nascent industry and you seem to be doing absolutely amazing. I know you've raised significant amounts of money and, and well-deserving too, but you know, I know a lot of what you do and probably why you're able to raise that money is just building the company organically. You know, I, I spoke to Cody and she said, you absolutely have to talk to them about how they built their following on Instagram. And then the other thing that I, I need to ask you about is, is pink. You know, you guys are, are always wearing the pink shirts and I think Luke has his hair dyed pink or white as well. Um, yep. You know, is that, is that you guys just live in the brand? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting question. The the pink is is our brand color, and it's something that um, you know sort of emerged from one of our favorite flavors, which is the grapefruit rosemary flavor. And, and the, the that can is a pink, like sort of a light pink can, and um, just something aesthetically about it was so was so attractive to us. People fell in love with it, so we started rolling that color out in a lot of our marketing assets and some of our some of our merchandise. Um, and yeah, we we wear it all the time. I mean, I think now it's sort of like a running joke, but. But um, Luke and I are often always matching and we're wearing some combination of our pink t-shirt and our pink sweatshirt. And, um, we've got hats and socks on the way. And so there's a lot of like really fun stuff that we're doing there. And it, it's part living the brand and it's part the details, right? Like the details really matter. Um, 
And, and we believe that I think, you know, on, on Instagram, it's a similar story. Like we, we built, um, the most engaged Instagram following, uh, in cannabis. And the way we did it, um, was we don't buy followers. Uh, we started really small. I mean, it was the first a thousand were really tough to get to 10,000 really, really hard. Now we're above 16,000 and, um, you know, it's not a huge number. They're brands with, you know, hundred thousand followers, right? Millions even. Um, so we're still small, but what we do is we put out content that we think is engaging that, that stands for something that there's something at stake in it that, you know, doesn't take itself too seriously. We're a very quirky, irreverent brand. Um, but keys off of some of those consumer education points that we've talked about on, um, you know, already and, and, and tries to do it in a fun, interesting way. Like, I think, I think, um, that, that attention to engagement and that attention to sort of like, um, the, the very detailed things like Luke and I, and, and our, our, our head of brand will literally just debate and debate every little detail about every word, about every asset. Um, and, it comes through and people feel that they understand that like there was thought that went into what we put out there into the world and it makes it more interesting. And, um, you know, we don't want to bore people with sort of boring brand stuff. We want to, we want to sort of add to, to, to their lives in some way. That, that That's awesome, man. I mean, I can tell just from the way that you talk about it, that you guys truly believe in this. This is, this is your life. Um, you know, it, it's trivial, but to me, when you have an executive team that that lives in the in their own corporate swag, even if it's just their corporate colors, right? You know, you look at some executives like you guys. If your corporate color is pink, and it's just for because of that, you start buying pink things, like just subconsciously. I, that means that you guys are truly living it, and that's absolutely amazing to me. Um, I, I am sorry that that I was late for this show. I know that you have a hard stop at the top of the hour here. Um, so I want to give you some time to, to promote can and promote yourself, but we're definitely going to have to do a follow-up eventually. And that's my fault. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk. I know that you guys are, are you're, you're mainly in California, but where can we find you online? Um, just to follow you and, and where can we find it when we make the trip to the West coast? Yep, definitely. So we're available online at drinkcan.com. Um, also on Instagram, at Drinkan, um, and only available in California right now. Uh, hopefully, more states coming from there. Uh, the one other thing, Todd, that I'd like to say is, you go to our Instagram, um, and I encourage you all to. It's at Drinkan. Um, we put up a statement supporting Black Lives Matter. I think it's really important um, this time, especially in the cannabis industry, for us to talk about sort of the history of race and cannabis. Um, you know, the stuff that we're doing every day, Luke and I and our team. Um, was illegal right in in california only a few years ago and there are a lot of people of color who are incarcerated who have lost their freedom who've lost their lives um doing what we do every day and that's something super important that we need to sort of one acknowledge and represent um and you know in these in these really tough times um where we're trying to deal with issues of, of injustice social injustice racial injustice both in our industry and across the country um i encourage you to read our statement there and join us uh, in taking action showing up, donating. Um, we've got a list of some great organizations that we've donated to there that we'd love you to join us in doing. Um, it's super important that uh, that doesn't get forgotten uh, in this moment. Absolutely. And, and what we can do to help support that is we'll go to your Instagram and when we, we re-release the actual recorded version of this podcast, make sure all those links are in there and that people can find you. But in the meantime, everybody make sure you said it was at drink can on Instagram, go check them out. Yep. You know, let's, I just got introduced to you, but I can tell that you're the real deal, man. And, you know, if Cody says it, then, then I believe her as well. So 
Thank you so much for joining, man. Like I said, this, this was a cold outreach, I think, on LinkedIn, and you were so kind to agree to do the show. And then, of course, I show up 15 minutes late. So I, I, I can't tell you thank you so much for doing this. No worries. No, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation, and um, we'll have to do another one soon. Absolutely, man. Well, you know, I, I, I feel motivated to make some introductions for you guys in Florida just for out of selfish purposes to, to get you down here, but I'm sure I'll be patient. We'll get it soon enough. Um, thank you again for joining. For those of you at home, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Um, it's not often we're going to get cannabis beverages on here. It's not often we're going to get these awesome, innovative companies on here. So we, we're very happy that we did. Uh, tune in next week, 6 p.m. We have our cannabis investment panel. If you're not a member yet, go to www.joincelab.com. You can register there. Put yourself as one of my guests. If you're not a member, you can come check it out. Uh, next week, we have two amazing guests for you. We're going to have Jared Mursky from Wick and Mortar, and then we will actually have the Pot Brothers at Law. If, if you guys remember, they were on the uh, Tosh.0 oh show and have gotten a ton of attention since. They're going to be nice enough to join us as well. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I know I learned a lot today, and there's a whole lot more that I can learn from Jake. We'll, we'll definitely do a part two, but I hope you guys learned something too, and thank you again. <laughs>